Hello and welcome to How About a Story. I'm Isauda. This week we continue with Alice in Wonderland. We meet a whole array of new exciting characters who were really interesting to create and keep consistent. Um, I've learned so much about maintaining voice happiness for each character and pacing is key for everything. So you know what, let's just go ahead and hop into Lewis Carroll's World of Words. This is chapters three and four of Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. There were indeed a queer-looking party that assembled on the bank. The birds with draggled feathers, the animals with their fur clinging close to them, and all dripping wet, cross, and uncomfortable. The first question, of course, was how to get dry again. They had a consultation about this, and after a few minutes, it seemed quite natural to Alice to find herself talking familiarly with them as if she had known them all of her life. Indeed, she had quite a long argument with Laurie, who at last turned sulky and would say only, I am older than you and must know better. And this Alice would not allow without knowing how old it was. And as the Laurie positively refused to tell its age, there was no more to be said. At last, the mouse, who seemed to be a person of authority among them, called out <clears throat> sit down all of you and listen to me i'll soon make you dry enough they all sat down at once in a large ring with the mouse in the middle alice kept her eyes anxiously fixed on it for she felt sure she would catch a bad cold if she did not get dry very soon <clears throat> said the mouse with an important air are you ready this is the driest thing I know. Silence all around, if you please. <clears throat> William the Conqueror, whose cause was favored by the Pope, was soon submitted to by the English, who wanted leaders who had been of late much accustomed to usurpation and conquest. Edwin and Morcar, the Earls of Mercia and Northumbria. Ugh, said the lorry with a shiver. I beg your pardon said the mouse, frowning but very politely. Did you speak? Not I, said the lorry hastily. I thought you did. I proceed. Edwin and Morcar, the Earls of Mercia and Northumbria, declared for him and even Stigand, the Patriot Archbishop of Canterbury, found it advisable. Found what? Said the duck. Found it the mouse replied rather crossly of course you know what it means i know what it means well enough when i find the thing it's generally a frog or a worm the question is what did the archbishop find the mouse did not notice this question but hurriedly went on found it advisable to go with edgar atheling to meet william and offer him the crown William's conduct at first was moderate, but the insolence of his Normans... It continued, turning to Alice as it spoke. How are you getting on now, my dear? As wet as ever, said Alice in a melancholy tone. It doesn't seem to dry me at all. In that case, said the dodo solemnly, rising to his feet, 
I move that the meeting adjourn for the immediate adoption of more energetic remedies. Speak English, said the eaglet. I don't know the meaning of half those long words, and what's more, I don't believe you do either. And the eaglet bent down its head to hide a smile. Some of the other birds tittered audibly. What I was going to say, said the dodo in an offended tone, was that the best thing to get us dry would be a caucus race. What is a caucus race, said Alice. Not that she wanted much to know, but the dodo had paused as if it thought that somebody ought to speak and no one else seemed inclined to say anything. Why, said the dodo, the best way to explain it is to do it. And as you might like to try the thing yourself some winter day, I will tell you how the dodo managed it. First, it marked out a race course in a sort of circle. The exact shape doesn't matter, it said. And then all the party were placed along the course, here and there. And there was no one, two, three, and away. But they began running when they liked and left off when they liked. So that it was not easy to know when the race was over. However, when they had been running half an hour or so and were quite dry again, the dodo suddenly called out, The race is over! Let's who's won? This question, the dodo could not answer without a great deal of thought. And it sat for a long time with one finger pressed upon its forehead. The position in which you usually see Shakespeare in the pictures of him. While the rest waited in silence, at last, the dodo said, Everybody has won! And all must have prizes! Quite a chorus of voices asked, Why, she, of course, said the dodo, pointing to Alice with one finger, and the whole party at once crowded around her, calling out in a confused way, Prizes! Prizes! Alice, had no idea what to do. And in despair, she put her hand in her pocket and pulled out a box of comfits. Luckily, the salt water had not gotten into it and handed them out as prizes. There was exactly one apiece all around. But she must have a prize herself, you know, said the mouse. Of course, the dodo replied very gravely. What else do you have in your pocket? He went on, turning to Alice. Only a thimble, said Alice, sadly. Hand it over here, said the dodo. Then they all crowded round her once more, while the dodo solemnly presented the thimble, saying, We beg your acceptance of this elegant thimble. And when it had finished this short speech, they all cheered. <laughs> Alice thought the whole thing was very absurd, but they all looked so grave that she did not dare to laugh. And as she could not think of anything to say, she simply bowed and took the thimble, looking as solemn as she could. The next thing was to eat the comfits. 
This caused some noise and confusion as the large birds complained that they could not taste theirs and the small ones choked and had to be patted on the back. However, it was over at last and they all sat down in a ring and begged the mouse to tell them something more. You promise to tell me your history, you know, and why it is you hate C and D? She added in a whisper, half afraid that it would be offended again. Mine is a long and sad tale, said the mouse, turning to Alice and sighing. It is a long tale, certainly, said Alice, looking down with wonder at the mouse's tail. But why do you call it sad? And she kept on puzzling about it while the mouse was speaking so that her idea of the tale was something like this. Fury said to a mouse that he met in the house, let us both go to law. I will persecute you. Come, I'll take no denial. We must have a trial, for really this morning I've nothing to do, said the mouse to the cur. Such a trial, dear sir, with no jury or judge, would be wasting our breath. I'll be judge, I'll be jury, said cunning old Fury. I'll try the whole cause and condemn you to death. You are not attending, said the mouse to Alice severely. What are you thinking of? Oh, I beg your pardon, said Alice very humbly. You had got to the fifth bend, I think. I had not cried the mouse sharply and very angrily. A knot, said Alice, always ready to make herself useful and looking anxiously about her. Oh, do let me help to undo it. I shall do nothing of the sort, said the mouse, getting up and walking away. You insult me by talking such nonsense. I didn't mean to, pleaded poor Alice. But you're so easily offended, you know. The mouse only growled in reply. Please come back and finish your story, Alice called after it, and the others all joined in in chorus. Oh, please do, please do. But the mouse only shook his head impatiently and walked a little quicker. What a pity it wouldn't stay, sighed the lorry, as soon as it was quite out of sight. And an old crab took the opportunity of saying to her daughter, Oh, my dear, let this be a lesson to you never to lose your temper. Hold your tongue, Ma, said the young crab a little snappishly. You're enough to try the patience of an oyster. I wish I had her Dinah here. I know I do, said Alice aloud, addressing nobody in particular. She'd soon fetch it back. And who's Dinah, if I might venture to ask the question, said the lorry. Oh, Dinah's our cat, and she's such a capital one for catching mice, you can't think. And oh, I wish you could see her after the birds. Why, she'll eat a little bird as soon as look at it. This speech caused a remarkable sensation among the party. Some of the birds hurried off at once. One old magpie began wrapping itself up very carefully, remarking, 
I really must be getting home. <laughs> the night air doesn't suit my throat. <clears throat> and a canary called out in a trembling voice to its children. Come away, my dears. It's high time you were all in bed. On various pretexts, they all moved off and Alice was soon left alone. I wish I hadn't mentioned Dinah, she said to herself in a melancholy tone. Nobody seems to like her down here, and I'm sure she's the best cat in the world. Oh, my dear Dinah, I wonder if I shall ever see you anymore. And here, Alice began to cry again, for she felt very lonely and low-spirited. In a little while, however, she again heard a little pattering of footsteps in the distance. And she looked up eagerly, half hoping that the mouse had changed his mind and was coming back to finish his story. Chapter 4 The Rabbit Sends In a Little Bill It was the white rabbit, trotting slowly back again and looking anxiously as it went, as if it had lost something. And she heard it muttering to itself, the Duchess, the Duchess. Oh, my dear paws, oh, my fur and whiskers. She'll get me executed as sure as ferrets are ferrets. <clears throat> Where can I have dropped them? I wonder. Alice guessed in a moment that it was looking for the fan and the pair of white kid gloves. And she very good naturedly began hunting about for them, but they were nowhere to be seen. Everything seemed to have changed since her swim in the pool and the great hall with the glass table and the little door had vanished completely. Very soon, the rabbit noticed Alice as she went hunting about and called out to her in an angry tone. Why, Marianne, what are you doing here? Run home this moment and fetch me a pair of gloves and a fern. Quick now! And Alice was so frightened that she ran off at once in the direction it pointed to without trying to explain the mistake it had made. He took me for his housemaid, said Alice to herself as she ran. How surprised he'll be when he finds out who I am. But I better take him his fan and gloves, that is, if I can find them. As she said this, she came upon a neat little house on the door of which was a bright brass plate with the name W. Rabbit engraved upon it. She went in without knocking and hurried upstairs, in great fear lest she should meet the real Marianne and be turned out of the house before she had found the fan and gloves. Oh, how queer it seems, Alice said to herself, to be going messages for a rabbit. I suppose Dinah will be sending me our messages next. And she began fancying the sort of thing that would happen. Miss Alice, come here directly and get ready for your walk. Coming in a minute, nurse. But I've got to see that the mouse doesn't get out. Only I don't think that they'd let Dinah stop in the house if it began ordering people around like that. By this time, she had found her way into a tidy little room with a table in the window, and on it, as she had hoped, a fan and two or three pairs of tiny white kid gloves. She took up the fan and a pair of the gloves and was just about to leave the room 
when her eye fell upon a little bottle that stood near the looking glass. There was no label this time with the words, drink me, but nevertheless, she uncorked it and put it to her lips. I know something interesting is sure to happen, she said to herself, whenever I eat or drink anything. So I'll just see what this bottle does. I do hope it'll make me grow large again, for really, I'm quite tired of being such a tiny little thing. It did so indeed, and much sooner than she had expected. Before she had drunk half the bottle, she found her head being pressed against the ceiling and had to stoop to save her neck from being broken. She hastily put down the bottle, saying to herself, That's quite enough! Ooh, I hope I shan't grow anymore. As it is, I can't get out at the door. I do wish I hadn't drunk quite so much. Alas, it was too late to wish that. She went on growing and growing and very soon had to kneel down on the floor. In another minute, there was not even room for this. And she tried the effect of lying down with one elbow against the door and the other arm curled around her head. Still, she went on growing. And as a last resource, she put one arm out of the window and one foot up the chimney and said to herself, Now I can do no more. Whatever happens, what will become of me? Luckily for Alice, the little magic bottle had now had its full effect, and she grew no larger. Still, it was very uncomfortable, and there seemed to be no sort of chance of her ever getting out of the room again. No wonder she felt unhappy. It was much pleasanter at home, thought poor Alice, when one wasn't always growing larger and smaller and being ordered about by mice and rabbits. I almost wish I hadn't gone down the rabbit hole, and yet it is rather curious, you know, this sort of life. I do wonder what can happen to me. When I used to read fairy tales, I fancied that kind of thing never happened, and now here I am in the middle of one. There ought to be a book written about me, that there ought, and when I grow up, I'll write one. But I'm grown up now, she added in a sorrowful tone. At least there's no room to grow up anymore here. And then Alice thought, shall I ever get any older than I am now? That'll be a comfort. One way never to be an old woman, but then always having lessons to learn. Oh, I shouldn't like that. Oh, you foolish Alice, she answered herself. How can you learn lessons in here? Why, there's hardly room for you and no room at all for any lesson books. And so she went on, talking first on one side and then on the other, and making quite a conversation of it all together. But after a few minutes, she heard a voice outside and stopped to listen. Marianne, Marianne, said the voice. Fetch me my gloves this moment. Then came a little pattering of feet on the stairs. Alice knew it was the rabbit coming to look for her, and she trembled till she shook the house. 
quite forgetting that she was now about a thousand times as large as the rabbit and had no reason to be afraid of it. Presently, the rabbit came up to the door and tried to open it. But as the door opened inward and Alice's elbow was pressed hard against it, that attempt proved a failure. Alice heard it say to itself, Then I'll get around and get in at the window. That you won't, thought Alice. And after waiting till she fancied she heard the rabbit just under the window, she suddenly spread out her hand and made a snatch in the air. She did not get hold of anything, but heard a little shriek and a fall and a crash of broken glass, from which she concluded that it was just possible it had fallen into a cucumber frame or something of the sort. Next came an angry voice. The rabbits. Pat, Pat, where are you? And then a voice she had never heard before. Sure, then I'm here. Digging for apples, Yana. Digging for apples indeed, said the rabbit angrily. Here, come and help me out of this. Sounds of more broken glass. Now tell me, Pat, what's that in the window? Sure. It's an arm, Yana. An arm, you goose. Whoever saw one that size, why, it fills the whole window. Sure does, Your Honor, but it's an arm for all that. Well, it's got no business there. At any rate, go, take it away. There was a long silence after this, and Alice could only hear whispers now and then, such as, Sure, I don't like it, Your Honor, at all, at all. Do as I tell you, you coward. And at last, she spread out her hand again and made another snatch in the air. This time, there were two little shrieks and more sounds of broken glass. What a number of cucumber frames there must be, thought Alice. I wonder what they'll do next. As for pulling me out of the window, I only wish they could. I'm sure I don't want to stay in here any longer. She waited for some time without hearing anything more. At last came a rumbling of little cartwheels and the sound of a good many voices all talking together. She made out the words, Where's the ladder? Why, I hadn't to bring but one. Bill's got the other one. Fetch it here, lad. Here, put him up at this corner. Yana. No, tie him up together first. They don't reach halfway high enough yet. Oh, they'll do well enough. Don't be particular. Here, Bill. Catch hold of this rope. Will the roof bear? Oh, mind that loose slate. Oh, it's coming down. Heads below. Now, who did that? It was Bill, I fancy. Uh, who's to go down the chimney? Nay, I shan't. You do it. That I won't. Bill's to go down there. Here, Bill. The master says you to go down the chimney. Oh, so Bill's got to come down the chimney, has he? Said Alice to herself. Shy. They seem to put everything upon Bill. I wouldn't be in Bill's place for a good deal. This fireplace is narrow to be sure, but I think I can kick a little. She drew her foot as far down the chimney as she could and waited till she heard a little animal. She couldn't guess of what sort it was, scratching and scrambling about in the chimney close above her, then saying to herself, this is Bill! And she gave one sharp kick and waited to see what would happen next. 
the first thing she heard was a great chorus of There goes, there goes Bill. Bill. Then the rabbit's voice along, Catch him! You by the hedge! Then silence. And then another confusion of voices. Hold up his head! Brandy, no! Don't choke no, him! Don't choke him! How was it, old fellow? What happened to you? Tell us all about it! Last came a little feeble, squeaky voice. That's Bill, thought Alice. Well, I hardly know. No more than ye. I'm better now, but I'm a deal too flustered to tell you. All I know is, something comes at me like a jack-in-the-box, and up I go like a skyrocket. So you did, old fellow. Yeah, so you did, old fellow. We must burn the house down. And Alice called out as loud as she could, If you do, I'll send Dinah at you. There was a dead silence instantly. And Alice thought to herself, I wonder what they will do next. If they had any sense, they'll take the roof off. After a minute or two, they began moving about again, and Alice heard the rabbit say, A barrowful will do, to begin with. A barrowful of what? thought Alice. But she had not long to doubt, for the next moment, a shower of little pebbles came rattling in at the window, and some of them hit her in the face. I'll put a stop to this, she said to herself and shouted out. You better not do that again. She produced another dead silence. Alice noticed with some surprise that the pebbles were all turning into little cakes as they lay on the floor. And a bright idea came into her head. If I eat one of these cakes, it's sure to make some change in my size. And as it can't possibly make me larger, it must make me smaller, I suppose. So she swallowed one of the cakes and was delighted to find that she began shrinking directly. As soon as she was small enough to get through the door, she ran out of the house and found quite a crowd of little animals and birds waiting outside. The poor little lizard, Bill, was in the middle being held up by two guinea pigs who were giving it something out of a bottle. They all made a rush at Alice the moment she appeared, but she ran off as hard as she could and soon found herself safe in a thick wood. The first thing I've got to do, said Alice to herself as she wandered about in the wood, is to grow up to my right size again. And the second thing is to find my way into that lovely garden. I think that will be the best plan. It sounded an excellent plan, no doubt, and very neatly and simply arranged. The only difficulty was that she had not the smallest idea how to set about it. And while she was peering about anxiously among the trees, a little sharp bark just over her head made her look up in a great hurry. An enormous puppy was looking down at her with large round eyes and feebly stretching out one paw trying to touch her. Poor little thing, said Alice in a coaxing tone and she tried hard to whistle to it. But she was terribly frightened all the time at the thought 
that it might be hungry, in which case it would be very likely to eat her up in spite of all her coaxing. Hardly knowing what she did, she picked up a little bit of stick and held it out to the puppy, whereupon the puppy jumped into the air off all of its feet at once with a yelp of delight and rushed at the stick and made believe to worry it. Alice dodged behind a great thistle to keep herself from being run over. And the moment she appeared on the other side, the puppy made another rush at the stick and tumbled head over heels in its hurry to get hold of it. Then, Alice, thinking it was very like having a game of play with a cart horse and expecting every moment to be trampled under its feet, ran around the thistle again. Then the puppy began a series of short charges at the stick, running a very little way forward each time and a long way back, and barking hoarsely all the while, till at last it sat down a good way off, panting with its tongue hanging out of its mouth and its great eyes half shut. This seemed to Alice a good opportunity for making her escape. So she set off at once and ran till she was quite tired and out of breath and till the puppy's bark sounded quite faint in the distance. And yet what a dear little puppy it was, said Alice as she leant against a buttercup to rest herself and fanned herself with one of the leaves. And yet what a dear little puppy it was. Hmm. <laughs> I should have liked teaching it tricks very much if, if I'd only been the right size to do it. Oh, dear, I'd nearly forgotten that I've got to grow up again. Let me see, how is it to be managed? I suppose I ought to eat and drink something or other, but the great question is what? The great question certainly was what? Alice looked all around her at the flowers and the blades of grass, but she did not see anything that looked like the right thing to eat or drink under the circumstances. There was a large mushroom growing near her, about the same height as herself, and when she had looked under it and on both sides of it and behind it, it occurred to her that she might as well look and see what was on the top of it. She stretched herself up on tiptoe and peeped over the edge of the mushroom. And her eyes immediately met those of a large caterpillar that was sitting on top with his arms folded, quietly smoking on a long hookah and taking not the smallest notice of her or of anything else. Thank you so much for listening to How About a Story. Stay tuned for the next two chapters coming in two weeks. If you haven't already, please go ahead and stop by our Instagram page and say hello. Otherwise, stay healthy out there. This podcast was performed, edited, and produced by me, Isaura. Until next time, what stories will you be getting into?